You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every week we bring you everything that is fun, innovative, and exciting in the digital procurement space. This week, we're diving into a topic that is becoming more and more prominent out there as we move from a more employee-based setup to a more mixed setup where companies use a lot more contingent workers and contractors to fulfill their tasks. And in doing so, we obviously need the right digital platforms to ensure that we can procure those services effectively without falling into the old school model of having recruitment agencies or having to rely even worse, perhaps, on one of the big major consultancies out there, which we all know are pretty expensive. So my guests today on the podcast have developed exactly that. We're going to be talking about the contingent workforce and how some of the platforms out there may not be the right choice to be able to manage that effectively uh, and to dig into this topic in a little bit more detail to look at some of the trends that are also uh, happening in this space. So I would like to welcome Igor Putrenko and, and Tobias Schmidt uh, from Equip to the ProcureTech podcast. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, James. Thanks for the invite. Hi, James. Thank you. Okay, so let's start off then, guys. I mean, this is a trend. Companies are moving towards a model of having fewer fixed employees and having more contingent workers. What's what's more commonly known, I guess, is the gig economy. You know, managing through this through established consultancies or through interim managers and recruitment agencies is way too expensive and doesn't really provide the flexibility. And at, at the same time, companies obviously don't want to add thousands of new vendors if they're employ if they're taking on individual contractors and, and having to deal with uh, with new vendor requests and invoicing and everything for each individual one so maybe a good point to start would be just give me an overview of what is already out there in terms of this technology and then we can perhaps dig into where where you guys see some of the flaws with with each of those and, and how you think that you're filling the gap Right, thank you, James. Um, maybe I can I can start with uh, with a general overview. Um, as you rightly said, uh, we used to have a situation where most of the work or eighty percent of the work have been done by by internal employees about twenty years ago, and twenty percent was more like an external ten to twenty percent external workforce and services. Uh, things have changed drastically since then, right? So uh, over the last uh, more than decade, I would say the trend continued to more towards externalization and flexibilization of the workforce. So um, as long as we um, can mention COVID here, it, it, it didn't trigger anything. It just accelerated things uh, further uh, in the corporate. So uh, now instead of 80-20 ratio, basically in favor of uh, internal um, uh, workforce and employees, you have a ratio of more or less 50-50. Uh, and, and the trend continues to grow towards the external workforce and services. 
In terms of the uh, players on the market, you obviously have ERPs uh, that are more in charge of, let's say, internal resources such as SAP and Oracle and whatever. Whenever we talk about external workforce and services where we operate in particular, we talk about uh, most likely VMS tools, so vendor management systems, uh, even that we think that the term may be outdated, it's still quite uh, a defined term in the industry. So uh, that's where you have the system of records that are responsible for all external workforce and services. And um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, it's not only price, and it's not only uh, you know um, when we talk about the existing channels, consultant firms, or staffing agencies. It's not only the price that is issue for for at least for our customers. It's even the uh, the further reach to the market. So this war for talent, or whatever you call it, uh, as a client, they want to have a more flexibility to get to get a grip on the market and get best talent uh, on the market, no matter where it's coming from. So, I mean, I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, just in case someone out there is is curious, what's wrong with using general freelancer platforms, you know, such as Upwork or Fiverr, which, you know, is very popular within the tech and online business industry? Hey, James, let me take that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using them. It's just like, uh, it depends what you want. You know, like um, Fiverr and Upwork, they specialize in skills like graphic designers, proper developers, and all those candidates are, are not really um, vetted. So clients or companies, they have to, to search for those candidates in those marketplaces themselves. With us, we are B2B marketplace and all our candidates are vetted, properly screened and interviewed and are ready to work. In addition to that, the candidates we can offer is, uh, as I mentioned, not only in graphic designers, web development, etc. It is also, we are looking for candidates in the legal space, compliance area, engineering, finance, proper, well, basically everything that can be external for white color. So what you're saying then, Toby, is essentially the big difference is A, between the size of the companies that would typically use those types of platforms, you know, in terms of them, in terms of their maturity from an audit and compliance perspective internally, but also there's a difference in terms of the roles that are typically available on those platforms versus something that, that a larger, more enterprise level business would, would typically need as, as a contingent workforce. Exactly. So uh, could you imagine a uh, universal bank or financial institution that has uh, strict compliance rules uh, looking for uh, candidates on Fiverr or, or Upwork? I mean, they, you know, they don't know what they get, basically. And, and with us or our marketplace, as I said, uh, you know, they are vetted. They know exactly what they get uh, because it's in accordance to their rules. So there, there are already legacy contingent workforce platforms that are out there that, that do sort of similar things to what uh, Equip is is offering. What do you see as being maybe the flaws or, or some or, or some of the limitations of using those platforms? Yeah, maybe uh, I, I can I can try to answer that. There is nothing wrong. Just like uh, put yourself in the customer's shoes. They prefer to have an integral solution that covers all sources of the talent pools, no matter if it's your tier one, tier two supplier, or is it a, a freelance marketplace, or is it another source provided that this source is compliant with your vetting and onboarding requirements. So as long as you can deliver it in one, let's say, technology shell, uh, you are more competitive than otherwise. Um, 
because no, none of the customers wants to deal with too many platforms and too many software um, systems doing the same, basically the same thing, delivering top talent at best possible conditions to them. And this isn't just about prices. It's also about expertise level. Let, let's, let's talk a little bit about why companies should maybe look beyond their backyard when it comes to hiring consultants or technical experts, because if they've gone down the traditional model of going to a consultancy or going to an interim manager recruitment agency, that would usually typically be in their own country. But this and some of the other features that, that Equip offers allows companies then to, to legally and, and in a compliant manner engage with talent from all over the world, right? Exactly. That's, that's uh, James, exactly. You, you just expressed the reason why we actually got for first business on the market. Um, the following is the case, according to our experience with, with uh, multiple enterprise customers. First, in, their, in, the, in, in your initial conversations with them, they're all happy with their, let's say, existing channels, existing tier one, tier two suppliers to source the talents. However, you have basically, uh, you may determine two types of the issues they, or the challenges they have. First is the hard to find skills. Like, you know, if you're looking for cybersecurity expert, then, uh, you may be tight on, on the, on the resources on candidates provided by your usual suspects. And number two, as you mentioned, you know, the, uh, companies are going more and more global, more and more flexible. So we, um, literally got first businesses and first revenues by providing top candidates from Eastern Europe, uh, or Eastern and Central European countries to the customers that are based in, uh, Germany and Switzerland, for example. So they are going way more flexible. They're buying way more flexible compared to what it used to be 10 years ago. And that's what I think our added value is. And you raise a really good point, actually, because in some of these countries, particularly countries where, as we go further east in Europe that are not members of the European Union, you know, getting a work permit to, to bring those workers to somewhere like Germany or Switzerland or the UK is, in many cases, not easy. It may be straightforward, theoretically, from a legal perspective, but it's very, very bureaucratic. So this can often be the best of both worlds if the worker doesn't necessarily want to, to leave their home country, but they can earn a, a salary or a, a daily rate in, in euro or in pounds or in Swiss francs that, that gives them the, the standard of living that they could only otherwise dream of. It's a win-win, isn't it, both for the employer and for the contractor? Uh, correct, James. And uh, furthermore, um, here I have to mention the COVID second time, unfortunately, that it, it actually we saw change of the pattern behavior in our clients because we used to be, we used to work actually mostly with the EU countries, as long as we're talking about Europe, where bringing people cross border seemed to be uh, fairly straightforward. However, with the recent developments over the past two years, we saw a more flexible approach by our clients who want to have a who, want, who does not necessarily have a talent uh, working from their office, but rather from a neighbor country. You know, as long as uh, the communication is clear, there are Teams, there are Zoom, there are all those tools that are supporting this. And that works quite well, actually. So we see a pattern moving towards more, you know, nearshoring, outsourcing approach, service contracts, rather than um, I want someone sitting next to me. That's true. And that opens, obviously, the door to other countries. And there where we have so many cross-border transactions from India, from Eastern Europe, etc., to the countries like UK, Switzerland and others. 
Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. What are you seeing as the general trend? Are you seeing more inquiries for for roles that are pretty difficult to find uh, within country? I mean, you mentioned cybersecurity as a great example, or or do you tend to find that large organisations are using this platform to hire sort of operational contingent workers, kind of as an alternative to setting up their own business process outsourcing function? It's it's actually both, you know, like um, companies struggle to find um, workforce in, in their own country. And also, as, as mentioned before, they're getting more comfortable with the whole teams and COVID situation that people work uh, remotely. But um, they, 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 they find those, those candidates maybe in Eastern Europe if, if they want to go nearshoring, they want to save money. But also, um, as you mentioned, like operational roles are also outsourced. So it's actually both. That's interesting. So, so it is genuinely a mix between the two. You, there's no real strong preference for one. Not really, not really. Um, as I said, like um, especially here in Switzerland, which is our home turf, company realized, well, wow, we can save so much money um, because everyone is sitting in home office anyway. We can go nearshoring, and um, let's let's do those operational roles also with the nearshoring part. But like uh, we can find specialists in in Eastern Europe or in, in other countries in Switzerland, for example. Yeah, the good thing about being a Swiss company is that everywhere else feels cheap, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's not true. I've seen more expensive places than that. Well, maybe Norway, maybe. <laughs> Just to maybe support uh, what Toby mentioned with one example, and that's also contributes into the overall uh, companies moving further and faster towards flexible and, uh, in particular, external workforce. Um, the, um, there's... A simple example from a financial institution here, um, a global financial institution that have decided for a program duration of five years to let their employees, including internal employees, to come to the office in shifts. That means that, and, and therefore they also save in a lot of money, uh, consolidating the work, workplaces, et cetera, and buildings and so on and so forth. So on that simple example, you see that actually there are certain things uh, after, let's say, after COVID situation, if we take uh, take the after COVID situation, then certain things would go back to normal. But actually, the relationship between the um, employer, uh, the corporate, and and the workforce, no matter is even internal or external, is going to be changed forever. That's at least our belief, because you know that example with the you know uh, shifts on the next five years for the financial institution to demonstrate this. Yeah, and I would generally echo that sentiment as well that i don't think we're going to be going back to a hundred percent 
in in office working environment anytime soon, if ever, indeed. So no, it's uh, and, ne- and and never to eighty twenty ratio like it used to be. Like uh, job for life concept is that, but long right, before COVID, right, of yeah. course. So speaking around more of the sort of personnel factors and the whole job for life thing, that kind of leads me on to the next question, which is really the elephant in the room. HR HR in most organizations is not known to be the most progressive and the most innovative function. (laughs) So how, how have you found their openness to adopting an external workforce management platform like this? Is it, they're obviously a stakeholder in the decision process. So has this been a tough barrier to overcome or, or do you approach procurement first and then go to HR? I mean, what's your, what's your business development sort of acquisition strategy in that regard? James, we don't know what you're talking about. We love HR people and we think they're (laughs) the most innovative and uh, forward thinking. Anyway, so you can cut this part and let me go straight to the answer. (laughs) Uh, luckily, I mean, uh, HR is an important stakeholder within the uh, uh, boundaries of a tool uh, like ours. But uh, um, the front, uh, let's say, stakeholders we're primarily talking to is uh, normally finance, procurement and sourcing, where uh, the whole expertise of buying external workforce and services resigns. However, having said that, I think we are... You know the 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 mega the biggest trend is actually coming to this total talent management um, space where uh, no matter if you're talking about temps contractors or internal employees these are all people so actually the role of HR will be increasing over time so is their adoption speed of the new technologies because there's no other way so they understand it as well also. If, if I may add something, um, it also makes, you know, like it depends who you talk to in nature. Some people are very innovative. And also if you can show and demonstrate the, the technology, they, they, they love it. It makes their life easier. So some of them are extremely open to it. But um, as I said, like it always depends who you're talking about, especially when it comes, Igor mentioned already, total talent management. I mean, HR is taking more and more responsibility about contingent workforce nowadays, always depending on the organization, obviously. And in doing so, they have to be open to the technology to manage it, then I guess is the, is the answer. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Let's jump into the technical details a little bit then. So if, if you're a company in, say, Switzerland and you're hiring, let's say, for argument's sake, a cyber, a cyber security expert from, from Ukraine, there are obviously tax and payroll implications associated with that. If you're, if you're in one jurisdiction and the contractor is in, is in another, depending on which international tax law or tax treaty applies, there are going to be different scenarios in terms of if or how they have to pay social security in one or the other country or, or payroll taxes. So how does Equip manage that? Thank you, James. I'm not sure if the cybersecurity expert from Ukraine is, is, the, is the best example, but uh, let, let's, let's, <laughs> let's try to provide you uh, information about this. Um, one thing... Um, there are different layers of uh, of the suppliers vetting uh, in the process, at least in our process. And we have to distinguish whether the, let's say, managed service provider is an MSP, such as, I don't know, Pontoon or, or, or Manpower Tapteen or Allegis is involved or not. 
because we work in many, many different countries and uh, we are not an expert in each and every country about taxation, about, uh, about uh, you know, how the freelancers have to pay their taxes and so on. What we are expert in is the defining and ensuring the proper checkpoints are respected and done in the system technology-wise. So that means that all your vetting and onboarding procedures for every freelancer or every channel, every supplier will be respected and cannot be avoided in technology. That's what you deliver from the technology perspective. From the marketplace perspective, we are in charge of vetting and onboarding all the channels we are dealing with in marketplace, be it a small supplier or a freelancer or, you know, a one-man company. And there we make sure part of the vetting and onboarding process is make sure the taxation is respected, checked, and verified. That means if we were, if we connect the Polish supplier with a Swiss uh, financial institution, this Polish supplier goes through the onboarding process of a keep, ensuring their uh, what, what they call in Poland, uh, NIP number or, or, or tax number is, uh, rest assured their address and their legal entity is verified and, and ready to work. So we, we definitely don't want any surprises on that route. So I guess it's a difference then between them being a contractor versus them being an employee in that regard, isn't it? Because if you're hiring someone, then you would have to understand how, the relationship works in terms of payroll but if they're contractors then as long as you can verify their identity and their tax id from what you're saying it's it's their responsibility as a contractor to ensure that they're tax compliant in the country that they that they reside in it's our responsibility in front of our customer to check that they are uh, uh legally set including tax um, implications and, and, and tax process in their country. And of course, it's their responsibility to pay it afterwards. What size company typically are, are you seeing that is using Equip or, or what size does a company need to be before they would see the advantages of using a platform like this? Uh, you're talking about clients or suppliers? Uh, in, ter- in terms of clients, yeah. Um, James, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we have um, clients that are extremely, well, not small, but like SMEs that have uh, maybe a couple of hundred people, maybe just startups that are looking for external workforce because they can find them in a permanent uh, way. But uh, also we have enterprise clients that are global, working in different countries, using our services there. So it doesn't really matter. All What is uh, on the same page, actually, is that all of them enjoy the, the marketplace with the technologies, with the shortlist function we offer, with the, some time and expenses tools, uh, we, we give them away or we, we offer them. So it doesn't really matter the size of the of the clients, basically. Well, I, I kind of had the impression it was more to, more more geared towards enterprise level uh, level companies, but that's really interesting, Toby. So you're seeing startups and emerging companies using it too. Of course, yeah, definitely. It's 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 really easy for them to use it, and um, also those people are looking for external workforce contractors they cannot find on the market here, so they are looking for them remotely. And uh, definitely, the size of the company doesn't really matter. Maybe uh, James, if I may add to uh, add something. I mean, we are uh, still a fairly compact company ourselves. We are deliberately focused on enterprise customers. So as long as we're talking about the combination of a marketplace and the comprehensive software with integration, you're absolutely right. That is more um, an enterprise focus that we have. At the same time, uh, as Toby said, we have a VMS light 
we have the VMS Lite product that is uh, geared more towards SMEs and startups. And I guess other than the compliance factor, the big advantage from an administration point of view is that the company is not then dealing with multiple different vendors as individual contractors when it comes to when it comes to invoicing and all of the, the administration costs around that. Exactly. They're using us as a multiplier. So we are their point of contact and uh, we will issue every invoice so they will directly deal with us. And that's a big benefit for them. The last question that I wanted to ask you was, can you walk me through a little bit your monetization model in terms of, you know, obviously you're a business, you have to make money from this. Do you charge the client or do you charge the supplier or, or do, you, do you earn from both of them? Right. Um, I think, James, we are following the uh, most uh, commonly used financial or, or commercial model on the market, uh, which is uh, volume driven. So the more companies transact through us, uh, the more um, the more earnings we get, basically. This is about 90% of the companies in Europe and about 70% in the U.S., that follow this model. So it's uh, it's a volume-driven um, fees that we execute. Having said that, uh, in most of the cases, it's supplier-funded. So that means we share the uh, the revenues with the supplier or we take a very small uh, percentage from, from the spend. So essentially then it's the client that, it's it's the it's the it's through the through the day rate or the hourly rate that the client pays. You you would take a a portion of that as a as a processing or an, as an admin fee. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's really interesting to understand what's going on in this space and how you know I I've certainly used some of the more common freelancer platforms just to just to do simple tasks for my business and it's interesting to learn how that is really different from you know some of the solutions that more established or, or larger businesses would typically would typically need to get certainly when it comes to talent shortages as well i'd not i'd not really thought of that so if anyone would like to learn more about equip or maybe see a demo what's the best place that they can get hold of you just uh, go on our website uh, www.equip.com eqip.com or uh, search for us on linkedin so tobias schmidt or igor putrenko um, it's easy to get in touch with us Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show today and uh, educating me a little bit more about the way that the contingent workforce market is going. Keep in touch and uh, all the best. Many thanks, James. James, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So that is contingent workforce, ladies and gents. It's something that we can't deny is happening. The move towards the gig economy and a more flexible uh, way of working is definitely going to be a thing that is just going to increase as time goes on. And in an increasingly global world with global war on talent, having a smart solution such as a kit to be able to manage that is definitely something that you could sh- should be considering, especially if you're recruiting for roles that are often difficult to find in your home market. Just a couple of things before we sign off. If you like the show, then don't forget to click on subscribe where you listen to your podcasts. We're also on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel now. Head over to James Meads. I'm going to be posting more videos uh, this year as I sort of grow that as an additional uh, content platform that I'm going to be using. And uh, yeah, we also have the ProcureTech podcast newsletter, which comes out once a month, which brings you everything that you need to know that's been happening over the month in the digital procurement space. Until next week, take care. Thank you for listening and bye for now.